Hey, welcome to Divorce for Busy Millennials, a place where you can get the scoop on what it's like to go through a divorce through candid conversations. Hello, everyone. I am so sorry. I've been MIA. Actually, I'm not really that sorry. I've just been busy. Um, I hope everyone's 2021 is off to a great start. Um, yeah. I feel like we're kind of in the same spot we were in February of 2020, but I don't know. Anyway, so today's little bonus episode, I wanted to talk about some of the common ways that you can get divorced. Um, Recognizing that, you know, there are multiple techniques that you could use. I wanted to cover like the big three today. So... I'm going to just get right to it. I'm not going to bury the lead. And I'm going to talk about the thing that I think most people, the method that I think most people don't know about, which is collaborative divorce law. So collaborative divorce law, it's a process that began um, in the 90s and it's slowly um, spreading across the country. And um, I mean, you know, it's it's widespread now, but you can't just go up to every attorney and say, hey, do you practice collaborative law? Anyways, so you can't do that because the attorneys have to be trained in the collaborative process. And we'll, you'll understand a little bit more about why they need to be trained in that by the time we finish. Okay. Um, So, yeah, you can't just choose, like, any attorney. You actually need to do a little bit of research on the attorneys in your area um, if you think this is something that you might want to use for a divorce. The basic premise, um, as you can ascertain from the name, it's collaborative. Everyone's working together. You think about it as kind of teamwork. I know that sounds really contradictory because... You like you just don't really think about working together in correlation with a divorce, but you know collaborative divorce laws really kind of turn that whole concept of getting divorced upside down um, to create something that is uh, you know more holistic, a more holistic approach, and. Um, I don't want to say friendlier, but it kind of is, you know, the idea is that everyone comes out of it not quite as damaged (laughs) as they would have been for a normal divorce. Um, Okay, so uh, it's not mediation, it's not litigation. I think one way that you could really think of collaborative divorce law is like when a business is shutting down and you know, a marriage is a business. It's a partnership. Uh, one technique you could use is definitely just slap a close sign on the door and stop paying your employees and stop paying your bills and just say, we're going to fight it out in court. That is a technique. That is a technique for getting divorced as well. Uh, but another technique would be to methodically dispense your assets to settle on severance pay for officers to tell all of your employees when their last day of work is going to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure y'all are smart cookies and you're picking up what I'm putting down. It's, it's planning. Um, 
And I guess, like, unless you're sadomasochist, you probably just want to go with the second route. I mean, unless you just really love the drama, which, you know what, some people really do. Alright, so let's get into a little bit more technical aspects of this. Both parties are represented by attorneys that are specially trained. I know I've talked about that before. But throughout this process, um, the, the, the two, the parties, you know, say husband and wife, husband and husband, wife and wife, whoever's getting divorced, are, and their attorneys are working together, open communication, but there are also neutral third parties that help facilitate this process. So there can be parenting coaches that help with creating a co-parenting plan that work with both sides to really, really talk through and figure out what is best for that child or children. There can be counselors, think like certified counselors that are um, understand the collaborative process and know how to work within it and work with all the parties. Um, I think it's important to note here that I'm really talking about like collaborative divorce law as being like, touch, I guess, more holistic, more touchy-feely. And I don't want that to come off as like, this is only for, you know, couples that use terms like conscious uncoupling and stuff like that. It's not, you know, it can really just be for two people that are sick of being married to each other, but don't want to bring all of the drama into their lives for whatever reason. Maybe they're working professionals. Maybe they have older children that they don't want to drag through it. There could be a bunch of reasons. So you don't have to be those, you know, two divorcing spouses that are still like best friends or whatever. That's not the case. Um, and this process has external, the third party neutrals to neutral third parties to really help you move towards that, um, amicable relationship. And finally, uh, well, not finally, but one of the big things is going to be a financial counselor. This counselor is going to help divide assets. They're going to slog through all those combined assets and help decide like what to do with them and really understanding the dynamics of the money situation in the family and who brought what, um, what's meritable, merit, merit. Oh my God, am I okay? What is marital property? (laughs) It's been a long week and it's only like Tuesday. So, all right, I'm going to move on from that. I think you understand what I'm saying. Um, The attorneys work really closely with the neutral third parties. This is all like an open communication situation, which you definitely are not getting. Um, through the normal mediation or even just that the normal litigation route and getting a divorce. Um, it's not the same. So, you know, you want everyone to have a voice here. I say everyone. It's really about the, the parties. Um, no one's hiding anything and, and there's none of that. Let me 
take this person down a peg or go after them or prove that they're wrong or whatever. You kind of just have to admit fault, accept guilt, whatever, forgive people and just move on and say like, we're going to get past this and, and get divorced. Anyways, it sounds like a good means to an end to me, but, uh, uh, yeah. So, um, one quick note, when attorneys agree to take on a collaborative divorce case, they agree that they will not represent the parties if the case can't settle through the collaborative process and has to go to court. So, if that happened, then each party would need to obtain new counsel and kind of start that process all over again. I mean, they have a jump start, but so that's kind of a big uh, motivating factor to make sure, you know, attorneys are very experienced and they're just as dedicated to solving this as the clients and that the clients understand that everybody's really, really dedicated towards making this work. All right, so just a few quick pros and cons. Um, I don't have any experience with this, just full disclosure. Uh, my divorce settled in mediation, not amicably, but whatever. Um, I didn't even know it existed when I was getting divorced. I actually learned about this in my domestic relations class last year. Um you know, it's it's a case-by-case -case basis. I'm not sure it would have worked in mine. You have to really, really have buy-in. Um, it can seem a little pricey. Like, the first time I learned about this, my big question was, isn't this really expensive? This seems like a cost-prohibitive prohibitive thing, like, only for rich people. I didn't grow up rich, though. <laughs> I just was thinking, like, wow, that seems really expensive. But um, my professor explains like yeah it, you can be paying more money up front because but you really have to look at it as an investment like you're paying to participate in this process whereas if you sign yourself up for a normal divorce you know run-of-the-mill like both of you are dedicated to standing in front of the judge or whatever that could also end up costing you way, way more because that tends to be more prolonged and there's more exchanging of documents and those are all billable hours and you get what I'm saying. So um, one thing you can do is look at this as kind of an upfront investment into the process, whereas with normal litigation, you kind of pay as you go in the long run. Um, all right, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, just my quick synopsis, obviously I'm super positive about this process. I think it sounds amazing and I'm really interested in it because I just think it represents, you know, what we as, we as family members, you know, as a, someone who went through a divorce with a daughter and even the legal community should really be focusing on is, Let's not, like, let's not destroy families um, and just leave the parties fending for themselves or whatever, which is kind of what going to court does. You know, we should really think of it as, like, building two families. 
we're not just blowing up one, we're, we're going to build two families. And when the facilitators take a step back and it's all over, then those two families should be operating on their own. They should, <clears throat> it might not be perfect, but they're not going to be at war. Okay, so moving on to number two, mediation. I think most people have probably heard of this or seen it represented in the movies, and I'm pretty sure that the dudes in Wedding Crashers were mediators. I just can't remember, and I don't think I have, like, Wedding Crashers on Amazon or anything like that. I think I had an old DVD of it, so <laughs> that's how old I am. <laughs> Anyways, in, um, in mediation, both parties uh, retain separate counsel. And basically, you know, like any divorce lawyer, family lawyer can can mediate a case. I don't mean mediate, like be the mediator, but they can take your case. And then if it goes to mediation, great. And if it goes to trial, great. They can do both. Most of them can. If mediation is agreed upon, which it is something that you have to agree to, then the attorneys get to pick a mediator and then schedule the day. Um... Leading up to the day of mediation, attorneys are most likely still going to be exchanging settlement offers, um, interrogatories, requests for production, and all the normal discovery is going to be requesting an exchange. And just a side note, like during that time, you know, you're racking up billable hours and it can really be a, a timely, you know, a, a lengthy process because there's like 30 days or, you know, 21 days, I guess, um, between each exchange of whatever discovery request and all of that stuff for someone to answer. So the process really can get prolonged and, um, and, and be expensive. Um, so after all of that stuff, you know, everybody's gathering their documents and, um, what not. Uh, oh, my internet just went out. I don't know what happened. Anyways, so after all that's done, it's time to mediate. So on mediation day, they can be very, very drawn out and um, painful and long and boring like mine. Or they can be really quick and painless. It just depends on kind of where you are in your relationship with your soon-to-be ex-spouse the mediator that facilitates it, and all of that stuff. Um, I mean, COVID's definitely changed a lot, so like Zoom mediations are a thing now, and when I was getting divorced last year and we had our mediation in March, it was like, how are we going to do this? The courts are closed. What are we going to do? And we ended up doing like conference calls, basically. Um, you know, I was co-located with my attorney, and we would talk about stuff, the mediator would call, we'd talk about it, talk to him, then he would hang up and, you know, call my ex-husband and his attorney. I don't think they were co-located with each other, I don't know, whatever, it doesn't matter. That is how the process worked. And even if you were sharing, like, a physical space, most mediators, especially for divorce cases, don't put the parties in the same room. Um, unless it's like, a, hey, this is, you know, like a quick introduction. So they're going to keep you in separate rooms and the mediator is going to walk back and forth between the two rooms. 
to try to work out a settlement. Um, okay, covered that. Wow, I was way off when I spelled the word definitely. There's like three extra vowels in there. I'm impressed. Anyways, um, quick note on the actual, the mediator that is selected. They have to be certified by the state. The states um, have a process for being certified as a mediator, and then your name gets put on a list. Um, in some jurisdictions, judges even have a mediation docket, which is no cost to the people in some places, and some might charge a fee or whatever. Um, if, you know, if you got to hire a mediator or you do, big surprise, like you're going to split the cost pretty much like everything else unless you work something else out in settlement. All right. So the end state of a mediation, basically you're working towards a settlement agreement. So you, you, you both exchange settlement agreements throughout the, the, the whole process, like since, you know, whoever filed for divorce first, the next thing to come is, well, here, just sign this and we can be divorced. That's a settlement agreement. So nobody normally signs that right off the bat. Cool. That's everybody's right. But what you want to do on the day of mediation is really narrow down that settlement agreement. Um, the agreement really should be in writing uh, or very, very, very close by the end of the session. And you want both parties to sign right then and there. Because the idea of mediation is like once you've closed and everyone's agreed to everything, you want to close this out and your attorneys want to go ahead and file it with the court and request for an order or a final decree of divorce. Um, once you've signed it, everything's submitted and you're going to have to do some more kind of administrative paperwork, like an affidavit. And one of the attorneys or both are going to file it with a court that you, you know, has jurisdiction over your case. And um, I think mine took about a month to get back. Maybe a little longer. Might be longer in some places, just depending on the caseload. So it's nothing I can, I can't give you any more information on that. Um, if your mediation fails and the parties can't reach an agreement, then they have to decide right then and there, or eh, not right then and there, but they need to decide if they're going to try to come back to the table and mediate again, or if they're going to scrap it and just say we're going to trial. Um, you know, divorce is so, so tricky because it can it's personal. It's a personal thing and you can kind of get in your feelings about it. So I could totally understand why someone would want to say, you know what, forget it. I will tell you, I got to that point in my mediation after I've been there for like six hours and my, <laughs> I was just sitting there all day, like talking to the mediator, talking to my attorney and then doing schoolwork. And actually like virtually attending law school classes um, during my mediation. Um, I was tired by the end of the day. I was hadn't eaten since breakfast and I was just over it. So I could totally see how someone would get pissed and like walk out. Um, you know, pros and cons, I think mediation, it's... <laughs> 
you know, it's not trial. You got that going for it. It can still be expensive. It can still be time consuming. Um, but it is way more chill than going to trial. Um, and it's it's a good resource to use before you have to go to trial. All right, so third thing. Um, going to trial. I think that's kind of what everyone thinks about, like, getting divorced. It seems terrible to put your life in the hands of a judge, to me, in any circumstance. Um, especially if it involves, like, your child. <laughs> so, um, I put in my notes last and definitely least, but sorry, that's nothing against anybody that loves to try divorce divorce cases. Um, some things to note, <laughs> you know, just because a judge is presiding over your divorce doesn't mean that they have any practical experience in domestic relations. Um, in some places, judges are appointed. In some places, judges are elected. And many of them never practice family law. Um, that's fine. But then, you know, they're on the bench and they have to preside over divorce cases. And ideally, they would be using the law as a guide, the state law, and wherever you are. But, um, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen. They're human beings, too. So despite you know, ethical rules and case law, it's really impossible to tell whether or not a judge is employing a prejudice or a bias in their rulings in divorce cases unless they openly say something. So, like, what I mean by that is in some jurisdictions, it's kind of like commonly known that certain judges just think, well, mom should get primary custody. She's the mother. She's going to be a better, better parent. In some other jurisdictions, certain judges think, well, even if dad has never been the primary parent before, and he probably doesn't know what he, he's doing, he should have a chance to take care and be a better parent. So you see, those are two kind of diametrically opposed ideas that could, you know, really be establishing law and be applied to people that live in the same state. Um, but they have very different outcomes. So it's just something to think about. Um, again, trial, taking something to trial is very expensive. Most, not all the time, but sometimes. Um, you're going to have depositions, interrogatories, requests for production, examining witnesses, cross-examining witnesses, et cetera, et cetera. It's a full civil trial. Um, it's, it's a big deal. Some of them can last days, depending on, you know, how many witnesses there are or kids or how much property there is to divide up. So just a little something to think about. All right. In conclusion, and I wrapped it up because I was limiting myself to 30 minutes for this one. Um, obviously, there's other ways to get divorced. Like you could just file the paperwork yourself. Um, if both of you agree to it, you can just file it and both be pro se and go to the clerk and get it all done. Um, that's probably like, I don't even know. I don't know anyone that's done that, but props to you if you do. <laughs> but I feel like if you're 
your your divorce is so amicable that you're able to like do all of that stuff together work pretty close together and um you know not want to kill each other you're probably not listening to this podcast um and I told you guys already I'm like pretty obsessed with the collaborative divorce law process um it's just really intriguing to me and I have since that the attorneys that practice it really seem to be dedicated to that that holistic approach and um, they take that practice very seriously um, and I just really respect that I don't know that's have a lot of respect for people that can kind of step outside the norm a little bit um, and just be dedicated to a cause um okay I haven't even done it so I'm such a nerd I'm like geeking out over this thing I've never even been through <laughs> all right thank y'all so so much for listening <clears throat> I hope to be back soon with an interview in the meantime go check out my cool mixtape I'm just kidding they call them playlists now go check out my new playlist that I put on Spotify um uh yeah follow me on instagram i'm sorry it's late and i'm so tired follow me on instagram at dfbm podcast and uh send me an email if you have anything good to say or bad to say i don't care either i just i like to get a little hate every once in a while don't threaten me with a good time um at divorce for busy millennials at gmail.com All right, cool. Thank you so much. And the legal term of the episode will follow this. Bye. Yo, so for today's legal term of the day, I wanted to talk about interrogatories. It's kind of like a really complex word legally super convoluted term for questions you know like interrogate they're basically just written questions um they'll they're filed during the discovery um of a case so like after someone's filed a complaint and then you file a response um then you'll get into um you know, filing your interrogatories, um, and then the, the party that received them has a couple weeks to respond, and then you, they're going to send them to you, and you know, you know, it's just sending stuff back, and whatever. So, um, big thing to note on interrogatories are your responses must be truthful. You sign them under threat of perjury. Um, you must be truthful and your attorney will sign them as well so it's important to read the questions carefully um (laughs) what you put in your answer to an interrogatory might not always be what the other party receives uh, because you know sometimes like you just might feel a certain way about a question and want to be a little petty about it and uh, maybe you're um, loving and caring attorney or paralegal is gonna want to clean that up a little bit for you before you send that one out into the ether. 
Um, I've definitely had a few answers like that. <laughs> the patty comes out, not all of us, okay? Anyways, most of the time, uh, both parties are going to trade interrogatories. Um, a couple examples of questions, and I'm paraphrasing because there'll be like one, you know, 300 word paragraph to ask this question like, have you had sexual relations with someone that isn't your spouse? Uh, have you ever struck your spouse? Have you ever cussed at your spouse? How do you take care of the children? What's your routine? Blah, 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 blah. Um, I think you guys get the point. So interrogatories, complex words, simple concepts, and remember, always be truthful. They will try to impeach you at trial if you perjure yourself in those interrogatories. Okay, they might not always try to do that, but it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. Alright, seriously, thank you so, 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 so much for listening. Follow us on the gram. Check out the new playlist. Send me an email. Tell me I'm awesome or whatever. Just send me an email. Tell me this podcast is terrible. I don't care. Um... I feel like there was something else I needed to say. That's all I can remember. Okay, thanks. Bye.